Welcome to The Happy Baptist, a podcast which exists to equip believers through conversations about Christian faith and practice. My name is Alan Duty, and I'm the preaching pastor at New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, my friend Blake Jennings. Uh, Blake grew up in Tomball, Texas, and then studied mechanical engineering at Texas A&M. He graduated in 98. After a short time in the industry, followed by an internship at Grace Bible Church, Blake attended Dallas Theological Seminary, where he graduated with a Master's of Theology. At seminary, he met and married Julie, also a graduate of A&M, and they returned to Grace in 2004. And then for the past 11 years, Blake has served as the teaching pastor of the Southwood Campus. Blake, welcome to the Happy Baptist. Thank you for having me, Alan. Yes, great to have you here. One thing I think is is worth mentioning also is that a few years ago, you started a nonprofit ministry ministry called on ramp and man i have to tell you that that is really one of the things that i have encountered in the last few years that has made me really excited i mean i you hear about a lot of kind of nonprofit ministries getting started it's always good work but on ramp is something that i just think met such an acute need in our community uh, and you guys are doing a great job with it so could you just share a little bit about that blake you know the heart behind it and how you got started in it absolutely alan thank you for asking me that question that's very kind of you So before I was a pastor, my particular specialty in engineering was automobiles. So I worked in that industry for a little while, have always been around them, always enjoyed them. Uh, So just to relax in the evening, I would work in the garage on cars. And as a result, staff started bringing me cars to fix um, their own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, why not? Um, One of the fringe benefits of working at our church. Sure. Sure, I'll try to help you with your car. Uh, But over time that grew and they started bringing me families in the church who were struggling Uh, particularly um, trying to work their way out of poverty. They'd bring me their vehicles, and as you can imagine, a lot of times the vehicle was just awful. It was just Mm -hmm. shot. So uh, we we found ourselves in this scenario where we could not realistically repair the vehicle, but we knew if we don't repair it, um, this is often single moms. This single mom is going to be, she's going to lose her job. She's not going to be able to get her kids, can't get to work, can't get her kids to school, can't get to the doctor's. Um, this is going to be a tragedy. And, and in our town, love our town, but it doesn't have a lot of mass transit if you're not a student. It's That's for sure. pretty limited. So my wife and I decided to uh, try to try to s- not solve that, but step into that need. And so a few years ago, we founded OnRamp. It's a 501c3 charity here in the Brazos Valley. We work with others to provide reliable vehicles to families in need to help them on the road to self-sufficiency and to share with them the grace of God in a really practical way. Mm-hmm. So most of what we do is work with churches like yours, yeah. uh, like mine, uh, charities, uh, healthcare organizations, mm-hmm. both school districts, government organizations to identify individuals and families that are, are working hard towards self-sufficiency, but for whom the lack of a reliable vehicle is a major impediment. Mm-hmm. And we will uh, work to find those vehicles and raise money to buy them. And then I'll work with various uh, businesses that partner with me to repair and prepare those vehicles, and then we'll donate, and then um, we'll support that family for the following year, taking care mm-hmm. of everything that their vehicle needs, but then also investing in their lives, um, mm-hmm. encouraging, mentoring, praying, uh, connecting them with other resources in the community, of which there's a lot here in the Brazos Valley. Yep. Yeah, I love that, Blake. And so, I mean, just again, just out of just 
love for you and support for that ministry. Yeah. Is there is there a website that people can go to? Let's say oh, somebody sure. wants to donate uh, finances. They want to donate a vehicle. They want to donate mm-hmm. time. Where, where can people go to learn more about OnRamp? Uh, yeah, so it's OnRampTX, as in Texas. So just OnRampTX.org. Great. You can find out more. And yeah. Well, love the work you guys are doing. Thank you. And that, that's really exciting. Well, Blake, uh, the topic of our our conversation today is Christians and depression. Um, You have shared your own story publicly with our pastor's fellowship here in the area. Um, I was touched by you sharing that story and letting us into that uh, part of your life. Um, You've also shared at your church, which uh, I know has blessed a lot of people. Um, I think you sharing about those things has been really helpful to others who maybe felt alone in the struggle. Mm -hmm. And so if we could kind of go back, um, in your story a little bit, when did you begin to realize that you were dealing with depression and how did you handle those feelings? Yeah, that's a great question. Let's note that the happy Baptist is having the depressed Bible church pastor on his podcast today. So yeah, we're going to be the depressed Baptist today. Uh, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I I love the role that God has given me in life to play. Hmm. So how did I know? Well, it certainly wasn't growing up. I would have never, uh, associated my personality or myself with depression. Um, I was generally a fairly optimistic person. When did it start to sink in? I, I would say that about five years ago through a series of real difficult challenges in my life and in the lives of my, uh, my wife and kids, uh, life got harder and harder and and you would have I'd, I'd have these difficult days where i'd feel sad or i'd feel down it felt like they just started stringing together where instead of like i'm having a bad day it's like i'm i don't remember when this wasn't the case mm. um but i think that when it became clear to me that this is something more than just i'm having a bad day uh i started to feel especially when i'd lay down at night the closest metaphor i can give i don't know if you've ever gone to the dentist and he's wanted to take a x-ray of a tooth or something and they put a heavy lead mm-hmm. gown yep. on you so like yep. it kind of presses down everywhere that's what it felt like so i'd mm. you know it kind of felt like that all the time and especially as i lay down at night i'd feel like somebody's laid a you know lead blanket on me it's just pressing and um so It felt like it's kind of pressing not just all the joy out of life, but just all of the life out of life. It just, you felt very, I felt very empty. Um, Mm. So it was about five years ago now. And I would say that as those days strung together, uh, my awareness of this is something more than just I'm having a rough time started to settle in. But it was interesting, you know, as it, as it is, especially I think as as guys were like, well, okay, I'll I'll fix it. Tomorrow will be better. Let's just keep going. It, it, kind of built and built though to the point that God kind of brought kind of the next level of it to where I couldn't just keep pushing it off. And for me, kind of the next level was insomnia. Mm. So started really dealing with insomnia and realizing, man, something is not right here. And there's, there's nothing quite like prolonged insomnia to motivate you to, okay, I gotta, I gotta take care of this. No and that's kidding. when I was finally willing to talk to a counselor and start to look at getting help. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, Blake, you know, before we go further, it's it's very helpful to define this word that we're talking Mm -hmm. about, depression, because, you know, some people, they kind of... They use that in a way that's very, I don't want to say flippant, but they kind of throw yeah. that word out there like, and all they mean is like, I feel sad, like I've got, I've got a little bit down yep. today. Um, but others, when they say depression, they mean like, I'm so overwhelmed that I can't get out of bed. Yep. So, you know, with the understanding that you are, you're not a licensed professional that's counselor, right. you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, this is, this is not something that you've trained for. This is, you're speaking mm-hmm. out of your experience. How would you define depression? Uh, yeah, I think that's a very important question to ask. And I do like what you just said. Yeah, this is not 
coming from a clinical expert. This is coming from somebody who's faced it and mm-hmm. and researched it, but I don't want to speak as an expert. Sure. So how I tend to differentiate these. So what you described first is is kind of this, what people describe as I'm feeling depressed. And what they're talking about is that I'm having a temporary feeling of sadness or discouragement. Um, I'm blue today. It could be intense. It could be really strong, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be temporary. And by temporary, I don't mean just minutes. I mean, it could last days. It could even last weeks, but it's it's acute. There's mm. something that's caused it. Often it's linked to some particular circumstances in life, perhaps the loss of a loved one or struggles at work or stress or something of that nature. That's the kind of sadness and discouragement that all of us are going to face in life. I don't, I don't think anybody's immune from having periods of mm-hmm. um, even intense sadness and discouragement, but they're temporary. When we talk about depression, we're talking about something more. So depression, I think it, it, what we're trying to talk about today is uh, what would clinically be called a, a major depressive disorder. So it's a medical condition that involves chemical imbalances in the brain that negatively affects how you feel, think, and act, and it's prolonged. So it's not just a temporary thing. It keeps going, and if left untreated, it's going to eventually lead to things like uh, you can't sleep anymore, like mm. for me. Um, or you, you lose the ability to work effectively or relate to others effectively. Um, you begin to struggle to function. Like you were saying, even getting up out of bed in the morning is really difficult. And if left untreated, can begin to build into thoughts of self-harm and even suicidal mm-hmm. ideation. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so, um, I guess one of the things that's difficult pastorally, whether you're in pastoral ministry or not, I just mean taking care of other mm-hmm. people and their, their, their spiritual and, and holistic good is really helping to to distinguish between is is this somebody with a melancholy personality who's right. just kind of down a lot or right. is this somebody that you know is actually dealing with depression would those would those things in, insomnia you know particular thoughts about self harm mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. is that going to set apart those two types of people Blake or are there going to be other things you're going to be looking for too in my experience which again I can't yes, speak as sure. a as a professional yeah I think that you're going to see um, with with actual depression, w- when you're talking a melancholy spirit, um, you typically learn and and, and work through some I don't want to say coping mechanisms, but ways to live with your personality in a way that's still effective in life. You can relate effectively. You can work effectively. Uh, hopefully, you can sleep effectively. Right. When when you start moving into clinical depression, you lose your ability to cope. You mm-hmm. lose your ability to function to relate. Um, I, I remember there was one day be, right before I got on medication, I was still doing some counseling, but hadn't kind of crossed that path yet to get on on medication. I went to a party um, for a friend's birthday, and I could not carry on even basic conversations at the party. Like I lost all ability for not just small talk, but just talk. And I just sat there and mm. and I think that was a, a dawning moment. Uh, we're beyond like a person. Like I'm big time an introvert. So a party for me is never going to be like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay just being alone in the garage, but, uh, so a party is always challenging, but it was more than that. It was that I could not interact. I could not function mm. in that place. And that's what crossed over from like a personality issue or, Hey, you're just an introvert or, you know, whatever it might be to no, this is, we're actually now in the realm of, of a medical issue. Mm. So Blake, for you, 
Um, I'm guessing the answer is going to be a lot of factors, but, but, but what did, what did the Lord use in your life to, to bring you to the realization that this is something more, this does need to be explored. You do mm-hmm. need to seek some more professional help, some more intensive help. Was it a, you know, uh, largely a personal realization or, or, or did others intervene right. as we would say? Yeah. So the first one was a personal, it was that insomnia that I began to experience. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, that's a, that can, that can be very motivational when you can't sleep. So right. That was kind of the first step. Um, so that was, I'm trying to remember the kind of the, the chronology of it. But I would say that depression kind of settled in for maybe six months or so before I got to that point. And then I got to that point and that motivated me, okay, I need to go talk to a counselor and, and see about this. So we did that and and the counselor was really helpful. The thought was, well, I don't know if you need medication yet. I don't know where you are, but let's let's work on some basic uh, some, some habits that you can build in your life, some that are spiritual, some that are just physical, like exercise, mm. stuff like that to help treat this. And, and I, about another year went by and there were some ups and downs, but in general, I wasn't getting better. And so what was it that then led to the next step? Like I said, getting on medication, that, that party that happened that night. But the interesting thing is I went home from the party feeling like, well, that wasn't fun, but that was about it. And, and went to bed and woke up the next morning and, uh, a very good friend of mine came over who was at the party and he was the one who said no this is like i saw you i saw where you are you need to go talk to a doctor Mm. like this has gotten beyond what you're able to cope with so i you know i guess it's one of those where when you're in the middle of it sometimes you lose your ability to remember what life was like before it sure and so you can't often sometimes you can't judge it really accurately so Mm -hmm. early on i was able to judge it later i needed somebody who was uh deeply involved in my life Mm to say hey i'm seeing this you you may not be aware of the effect you're having in this mm-hmm. in this moment in this gathering, but I can see it, and I think it's time you talk to somebody. Yeah. Well, one of the really helpful things I think about your experience and how you related it was that when you went to counseling, uh, the first thing that that they helped you to do was to develop those tools and coping mm-hmm. mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people they don't want to go to counseling because yeah. they're like, well, they're gonna I'm gonna go and they're gonna stick me on medicine. Step one, yeah. it's like that. That's not been my experience with right. counselors. Uh, it, they, they're gonna try to give you tools, and, and there's gonna be uh, you know we would call triage. There's gonna be a, right. there's gonna be a, a, a level at which you know they step up to different treatments as necessary. Right. And so I, I just don't want I don't want believers or unbelievers for that matter to be dissuaded from going to counseling because they think well they're just going to put me on medicine. All they're going to do is medicate me. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I'm aware of some cases where the counselor very quickly did get a person, um, on medication. Typically it's like a crisis moment. Okay. Yeah. We need to get you to a doctor right now. Right. Um, particularly those are cases that I've seen where the person was not only dealing with a mental health disorder, like an anxiety disorder or depression, but also you were starting to see some really dramatic and threatening physical manifestations, Mm, self harm harm or super high blood pressure or things where you're like, okay, this is grown. So, Mm -hmm. so sometimes that will happen, but I think that you know, when we think about an issue like mental health, uh, as Christians, we I think we have the best anthropology, if you will, to explain what's going on. Well, that we're both spiritual and physical, Correct. and so this is affecting all aspects of our humanity, and so we need to treat it as such. And mm-hmm. so I think in the best counseling situations, what you'll do is sit down with an expert who not only has skill and experience, but is willing to kind of play the long game and look mm-hmm. at how, how can we treat the whole person here. And medication might be part of that at some point, um, but there's even if there is 
medication. There's also going to be other things. There's going to be, we're, we're going to treat this um, in a multifaceted way. It's a and holistic approach. It's a holistic approach. Ab- absolutely. I think that's been one of the things that's been really helpful in, in learning what depression is, is seeing how it affects so much of what it means to be human. And, and then really, in a, in a sense, kind of a, a new and deeper theology of sanctification coming out of mm-hmm. that and realizing that when we think about growing in Christ, it involves every aspect of who and what we are. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to, we need to face that. We need to realize that. And then we need to act accordingly. And that's one of the things that I feel like for us as pastors that hopefully with kind of the new dialogue we're having about mental health is it's helping us to get even better in the pastoral counseling that we give because we recognize, well, just telling somebody pray more and memorize some scripture, those hmm. are two very good things to do, but yeah. that's, that's not necessarily nearly enough. We need hmm. to think about the whole person right. and everything that goes into mm. being human. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think that, that really leads into where I was going to go next, which is the idea that, you know, Christians followers of Christ shouldn't be struggling with depression. We, sh- <laughs> we, we should be able to overcome these, right. these feelings, these episodes, whatever we call them, um, with more prayer, with more Bible study, whatever. Why do you think so many Christians seem to, to have that mentality that, that, you know, we shouldn't be dealing with depression and the tools, um, given to us in most churches should be sufficient to overcome those feelings? Yeah, that's excellent. So I'm sure we both run into that opinion a lot um, that, you know, all all you need for whether you're battling uh, a major depression or you're battling an anxiety disorder, that all you need is the right verses and some more prayer. Why is that paradigm so prevalent in the church? I think there's a few reasons for that. I think the first reason that's important to clarify for people is until you've lived through a mental health disorder, it's really hard to imagine what it's like. Mm. And part of the challenge with that is that we use the same terms to describe just a, a normal everyday bout with sadness or worry as we do to describe these mental health issues. So because we'll, we'll talk about a person who's just having a bad day or a person who's clinically depressed as, oh, they're feeling depressed, or a person who's worried about a test versus a person who has an anxiety disorder, well, just, well they're anxious. Mm. We use the same terms, and so it tends we, we tend to kind of blend it all together in our minds. And so for somebody who's not been through it, it can feel like, well, all you really need is some more scripture. And it's very hard to put yourself in a person's shoes and imagine what it's like to not have that kind of control over your brain, (laughs) that Mm. your your brain is broken and it's going to run down these paths. And so I think that's the first thing is that it's just hard to imagine what it's like, which is, I mean, that's honestly, that's true of any chronic disease. It's hard to imagine what life is like with that until you've had it. I think uh, a second reason that comes to my mind is I think for a lot of folks who are Christians, um, they maybe haven't done the work that they need to have a really whole picture of the scriptural witness about mental health. And what I mean by that is that there are clearly a number of verses that are very optimistic and are very simple in their approach to whether it's discouragement or anxiety. And so count it all joy. Rejoice always, Paul mm-hmm. says, or um, or be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication. You know, you, you look at these, like, well, it's simple as that. Do that. Um, and those verses are absolutely true and are absolutely useful in, in, in all situations. However, um, when we only focus on those, we miss the fact that, I mean, you've got some examples in Scripture of what seem to be some pretty deep struggles with mental health. So you have David in the Psalms just sure. pouring out moments in his life where he seemed utterly overwhelmed, 
have King Solomon writing Ecclesiastes, which I'm still convinced is is a guy who's clinically depressed writing a book of the Bible. I mean, it really comes across. A lot of what was going on in my mind was similar to what was going on in Solomon's mind. Not that I've had a thousand wives, but... Yeah, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. But maybe the vanity of vanities. Uh, but the vanity part, of vanities, yeah. oh yeah. So definitely felt a lot of that. You have Elijah running off into the desert and asking God to kill him. Um, and then you have probably my personal favorite figure in scripture that I kind of identify with is John the Baptist, who he spent a lot of time in what we would call great ministry success. Bapti- I mean, he, he read, led a revolution in the thousands, in the, thousands a whole, whole country, him, yeah. preparing the way for Christ. He was so faithful. And then right at the end of his life in Matthew 11, we're told that he's languishing in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, did we get it wrong? Are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we look Did for I totally waste my life? And I, I read that, and I see a guy who's just—life has—he um, doesn't understand how to put together um, what he's seeing in life. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make sense with his theological uh, understanding. Um, life is very hard. He's suffering. In the midst of it, you see this crying out of, of, of despair that, like, have I wasted my life? Was it all for naught? And so I think you see the example of people like that in Scripture, and you have to balance that, and you have to kind of hold both of those. Yes, there will be times in our lives when we need Paul's enjoinder to you know, count it all joy and be anxious for nothing, but there's also times in our lives where we need to learn from the example of a John the Baptist or Elijah or Solomon. So I, I think that those are really the, the biggest reasons why people in the church tend to default to those very simple solutions. Mm. We, we don't define our terms carefully and we mix together those things. So many people haven't walked in those shoes, and then we, we just we forget the whole revelation of Scripture and focus on just a few pieces. Yep. Yeah, and, and the, the men that you refer to in Scripture, I mean, these are giants. I mean, Absolutely. this is David, this Absolutely. is Elijah. Absolutely. I mean, these are, these are giants. And so I think, yeah, having that more holistic view hopefully frees believers up to say, you know what? Um, I feel how I feel, and they, yeah. they felt how they felt, and, yep. and and that's there's not necessarily a moral right or a moral exactly. wrong to the way yep. that you feel. Now, what you do with those that's feelings certainly right. could, yep. could, could get into the realm of you know is that's, this right or wrong. That's been one of the one of the most helpful phrases that my wife and I, but both of us struggle with mental health issues. We'll we'll remind each other: you, you feel what you feel. What you do with it, that's your choice, but you can't, you, you're not guilty, nor can you control what, what you feel. And yeah, I think, you know, it, it is meaningful in looking at those names from the Bible that we're talking about. Solomon, you could definitely argue he brought a lot on himself with some very sinful choices. Yep. David, though, if you mm. look at his, I mean, some of his deepest laments in the Psalms were before the Bathsheba incident. They right. were, he he's was being, being persecuted by Saul. By Saul. Yeah. Um, and so he's, he's, I, you know, I think there's moments there where it sure looks like depression. It looks a lot like what I've experienced through no fault of his own. And that's the key. Or you look at John the Baptist or Elijah, through no fault of their own, they're experiencing these things. And I, I think that that's so crucial to look at because it helps prove to us that when you're talking about something to do with mental health, there's not necessarily guilt, sin, or shame in it. Mm-hmm. Now, again, in Solomon's case, there could be. Yeah, but there's not necessarily. And so I think one of the challenges that we we struggle with at church is that we can so quickly associate anxiety or despair with guilt and shame. You should be ashamed of this. You should feel guilty about this. You're doing life wrong. Um, And as soon as somebody feels guilt or shame over a struggle, they're going to try to hide it. 
which I'm sure, you know, you've seen that so often what Absolutely. I feel like as pastors we're battling is mm-hmm. people's tendency to hide. Yep. Because if you hide it, it never gets better. That's right. So we got to bring it out in the light and help mm-hmm. people to recognize it. There's not guilt or shame over this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that, that many humans have been through and there's hope if you'll bring it out in the light. Yes. Yeah. I think as well, I mean, just overcoming, as you've mentioned a few times, the stigma, you know, yeah. that would be with mental health, because I mean, it, it's just so interesting. If, if you have, if you're a Christian and you break your arm, the, mm-hmm. the counsel universally from other Christians is going to be, you need to go to the emergency room. You yes. need to see a doctor and yes. get that set. If you have a headache, um, the counsel universally is going to be, there's some great stuff, you know, yeah. leave Ex- Advil, there you you know, go. Yep. take those things. If you are struggling with depress- depression or mental health issues, the counsel is you should try more spiritual disciplines. Right. It's like that seems to be the one area where we where we're not willing to 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 consider that God is going to work through the means of right. counseling, medication, etc., to help bring wholeness to that part of your life as we would in every other area of the human experience. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly right. So a big moment, I, I think, at our church was, and it took me a while to get there. It was a few years into it before I was willing to, to say publicly, but to get up and tell people, I, I take an SSRI every day, and I've taken it for years, and I don't know if there's going to be a moment this side of heaven when I'll get to stop taking it, but that's that's a normal thing. I take an antidepressant, and um, and I struggle with depression, and that's mm-hmm. that's going to be a normal part of my story. And saying that from the pulpit, I think was helpful because I, I hope that it helped free people to realize that this is my particular medical issue. Um, that doesn't make me a failure. You know, right. if, if my pastor can can right. do that, if if my pastor can become dependent upon a medication to help him make it through mm. the day effectively, that's okay. Mm. And and if he can do it, then I can do it. Yep. And so we talk a lot about how you know when you look at the amazingly elaborate chemistry that God has designed into our brains and all that's happening when you're dealing with an anxiety disorder or uh, clinical depression, um, it, it is much more analogous to something like diabetes than it is to a typical sin struggle. It, it, you're, you're dealing with chemical imbalances in the brain. Mm. And, um, and sometimes, I mean, it is neat to see from research, sometimes implementing some new habits, surprisingly, one yeah. of the best habits is actually exercise. No doubt. Often can cure mild cases of depression because mm. you're releasing endorphins, which fight, you know, you're, you're rebalancing chemical, but, but I think helping people see the, the biochemical side of things and realize you're not guilty for this. Yeah. I, I think that one of the one of the other things that we've seen, which is interesting and also it, it's discouraging on one sense, but also hopeful in another. Um, we've seen this a lot in our kind of Christian community. Some of the stigma is not out of the church. Some of the stigma is out of Western culture. And what I mean by that is it is fascinating to see a man like King David or a man like King Solomon, you're talking about the richest, wealthiest, most powerful men in their time, openly tell the entire nation, I am depressed. Mm. I am I am despairing of life. Um, my my mental, you know, to use modern terminology, it's anachronistic, but basically there's I'm dealing with a major mental health issue here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. Yep. What modern tycoon would do that? Like we, in the Western world, and you can really trace this back, I think, to the deification of the mind in the mm. enlightenment the the mind is deified into a god yes emotions are diminished yes we, we actually we 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 associate it with gender well it's okay for women to be emotional but not men right men have to be strong they, mm. and so as a result of that i think for older generations they really struggle to be open and honest about this because they grew up in a cultural assumption that 
that having your mind together, having your rationality together is a sign of strength, Mm -hmm. struggling mentally or rationally or emotionally is a sign of weakness. Mm. And so my hope is, is that we as a church can recover in a sense that Hebrew mentality that emotions aren't weakness and we are willing even at the height of our in a sense power wealth whatever it might be to say we struggle we struggle and we can be open about that mm-hmm. so i think that that's the other thing that we're fighting against that it isn't in and of itself part of the church it's actually a part of western society where i say that there's hope is it uh and i'm sure you've seen some of this research uh, the younger generations are much more willing to see a counselor and to talk about mm-hmm. mental health and i'm mm-hmm. very encouraged by that yep. because, and you see it that's that's true for younger generations regardless of gender mm-hmm. and so what you're seeing is um, a willingness to to set aside this you know, deification of the mind and say, no, I, I, I might struggle with these things, and that's okay. Mm. This is something we can be open and honest yep. about and not be afraid of and try to hide it as a sign of weakness. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, very, that's great, and that's very encouraging, that, you know, what we see there. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it makes me wonder, you know, how much would the— um, the World War II generation, for example, yeah. coming back and, and just seeing what they saw and, and then raising up a, another generation behind them. Because I think you see a lot of that, you know, the, the after effects of not getting, not receiving counsel, not, yeah. you know, absolutely. being able to medicate. And of course, some of this wasn't invented, you know, some of the yeah. developments, but absolutely. I just wonder, you know, how much of an effect that had. I think that's part of it. I, I think the, you know, that, that greatest generation in mm. a sense if you're ever going to look at a particular generation and say you are the you know master of your own fate, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can it hold it them. together. It's them, you know, and mm. you you look up to them and see them as a sign of of incredible strength. Well, lots of wonderful things about that generation, but they did tend to hide yeah. personal no struggles. Talking about feelings, you don't talk about that mm-hmm. stuff. You project confidence and strength and. And so I think while, while there are many good things about what we can learn from them, I think that that's something that it would be helpful in the church for us to recognize that's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. And the, the Bible, you don't, you, I mean, you can pretty much throw a, a dart anywhere in the Bible and you're going to see something about the value of humility and vulnerability, yep. that you cannot walk the Christian life if you're not humble and open about your struggles, whether they be struggles found in sin or whether they be struggles not found in sin, Mm -hmm. maybe they're medical, maybe they're relational, whatever they might be. If you hide them, they always get worse. Mm -hmm. Everything gets worse in the dark. That's right. You got to bring it out in the light. And so my hope is, and, and my, you know, where I take some hope is the fact that it seems like some of these younger generations, particularly college students that we interact with are just so much more willing to be honest and open and hopefully that will they will take that forward into life they will take that forward when it's t- their turn to lead our churches and build I- even more health in the sense of the openness and humility that's practiced in the Christian community yeah agreed Blake how would you counsel the Christian um, who's tempted to make depression a part of his or her identity so they would say I'm a depressed person rather than perhaps, I'm a Christian, I'm a son or daughter of God who struggles with depression. How, how would you counsel a person that came to you that, that really seemed to be kind of, maybe I could use the word enmeshing, yeah. with, that, with that part of them that is, that is uh, broken? Right. So that's a great question. I would say, you know, when it's a mental health issue, you're going to, ultimately, you're going to treat it in the same way that you would treat anything less than one's 
you know, made in the image of God, child of God, anything less than that that a person attaches to their identity. So it is accurate to say depressed as an adjective. I'm, you know, I, I, that, that is something that is true of me. So mm-hmm. that's accurate. But when I make it my identity, then that's an error. And so you see it all the time we deal with it, whether it's a mental health issue, whether it's an addiction issue, um, I'm an alcoholic or a drug mm-hmm. addict, and which can be, you know, that, AA has that as part of their meetings because it's really good for you to admit that. But right. they don't mean like that's the core of who you are. And that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we see it with gender issues and sexuality issues. So, um, you know, I... Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, I don't think it. There's lots we can talk about there, not for this sure, podcast, sure. but it really gets unhelpful and unhealthy when that becomes a core of your identity, right. when that's what you identify as in the sense of who you and what you are as a human. So what we do is we talk to people about the fact whatever it is you're dealing with, you, you can describe it as an adjective of yourself, but it doesn't change the core. And what is the mm-hmm. core? Well, the core is Genesis 1. You are made in the image of God to be a child of God. Mm-hmm. That's the essence of what you are as a human being. It's the essence of what all humans are, what gives humans uh, complete dignity, eternal dignity, made in the image of God, to be a child of God. And it trumps everything else because it, it is eternal. All those other things are temporary. So, yes, I deal with depression, but I won't always. Mm. It's not the core of who I am. No. It is a temporary adjective. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it's a temporary adjective to diminish it. It's still mm-hmm. something I have to face. It's right. a significant part of my story, but it's not the eternal core of who and what I am. And so I think that one of the primary things that we want to do with folks is um, we want to walk a line mm-hmm. where we are not diminishing these struggles, temptations, whatever they might be. So we're not sweeping them under the rug, but we're also not exalting them mm. as if they were equal or um, could replace the fact of made in the image of God to be a child of God. Yep. So it, it's, you know, I think for our job as pastors, that's one of the things that we hopefully are continually reminding people is that we need to face these things that we struggle with or, or whether they're sins or mental health issues or whatever they might be. We need to face them and be honest about them and vulnerable about them, but they don't change the core of our identity. Mm. And that's important. That, I think that that's one of the distinctly Christian aspects of counseling. When, it, when you're talking about mental health, I think it's really important to say this is one of the places where I think that the church has the ability to counsel even better than the best secular expert mm. because we can face the problem. Yeah, right. you're dealing with you know an anxiety disorder, for example, but we can face it in a rich way that says, yes, you're dealing with it, but it's not who and what you are. Mm-hmm. You're something so much more, and that can give a great sense of... of um, confidence and hope in the mm. midst of the struggle. So hopefully that's something unique that we can provide for people. It's a, and it's a, and a pretty essential conversation to have at some point in the process. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and, and that's where, that's where I would push back on the Alcoholics Anonymous thing, just yeah. because it's like, what the only difference that I want there is what you enumerated. It, it, it's to say, my name is Alan and I am a beloved child of God bought by yes. the blood of Christ who has an alcohol addiction. Yeah. You know, like yeah. to, to, to say, and, and just to clarify for the listeners, yeah, I, I don't have an alcohol addiction, yeah. uh, but, but, uh, but just, <laughs> but just to add that in there is to say like, you know, this, this is who out. I am and yeah. this is also true about me uh, yeah. as opposed to just, this that, is the whole that's story. That's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've been around uh, alcoholics and anonymous enough in terms of ministry stuff that we've done that I, I really believe they mean the best sure, by it. I and too. it's a very helpful tool. So I, of course. I don't want to criticize that, but I, I do think that that's an important thing that 
um, in any, so in this case, you're talking about addiction recovery, a very important conversation that you're going to have is the fact that while this addiction is a serious issue that you need to own, and that's, Mm. that's what they're trying to get at is ownership of it. You got to own it. Yep. But even owning it, it doesn't redefine what it means to be human. That's right. That doesn't get to Trump image of God. It doesn't mm-hmm. get to Trump child of God. Yep. It's significant, but not that significant. Yes. So again, it's walking that line. And right. you know, the, the challenge with human beings, we, we don't like having to balance things. We like to jettison one and just choose it. It's like, no, you got to hold both of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to own this struggle. You got to take responsibility for it. You got to look at it full in the face, but you also got to hold the greater truth of who you are in Christ as made in the image of God. Yes. And we have to walk in that balance. Yeah. Agreed. Well, Blake, what what resources as we as we kind of wrap up here, you know, mm-hmm. and and maybe somebody's listening and and they're struggling with depression. Maybe they know somebody that is. What resources have you found to be particularly helpful? These could be books, podcasts, articles. Um, what have you found that's that's been helpful as as uh, you've dealt with depression yourself and you've you've counseled others on that subject? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, really important question. Um, there's a lot of great resources out there. That's the first thing that I would say. So I hope anybody who's trying to figure out what do I do in my life or how do I help somebody in the midst of it, be encouraged. There's a lot of resources. Um, I would say uh, if anybody who is listening to this podcast because they know you, Alan, the first resource is talk to Alan and his, and his staff. Talk to somebody because mm-hmm. that's a big part of what the church is here for is yep. to— be a resource along the way and to walk with you through this. So um, please don't hesitate to talk to any of us. Um, I think that some of the particular resources that we want to think about. So when somebody comes to me and they tell me that they're, they feel like they're struggling with depression or an anxiety disorder, uh, the, one of the first things I'm going to do is actually have them talk to their doctor. Hmm. So a, a surprising amount of the time there is a actually a somewhat unrelated medical issue going on. I can't tell you how many college students I've talked to who they're convinced that they're depressed and we find out, well, you've only been sleeping three hours a night eating pizza all the time and haven't had a physical in 10 years. Yeah. So Also, you don't exercise. And you don't exercise. And <laughs> I'm like, if I was living your life, yeah. I, I would want to die. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's right. So sometimes it's as simple as let, let's get you the doctor, mm-hmm. let's get a physical, let's... let's so. Um, Take advantage of the wonderful medical resources that we have. That's that's an easy one. Yep. Um, uh, if if you struggle to find a doctor, come talk to somebody. Talk mm-hmm. to one of us. Let's let's help you there. Um, the second, I would say, talk to um, somebody in in leadership at your church. Mm-hmm. And so, the first place and probably the best place is if you're in any kind of small group ministry. Mm-hmm. Talk to other people in the small group. Talk to your leader. Yep co-leader, talk to somebody there. Um, I think that we are wise to be open and honest early in the process. I think uh, a lot of, uh, sometimes I'm asked, and I I saw a a version of your notes for this, uh, you asked the question, when do you when do you know it's time to talk to somebody? Mm. And what I tell people is if you're asking the question, it is. Yeah. So if if it's dawned Hmm. on you, maybe I should talk to somebody. Yep. And part of that is simply we need to lower the bar of talking to somebody. Right. Like, talking to somebody ought to be like our normal practice oh, in life. It's, it's like what you deal with in marriage counseling. It's like yeah. people, people like, you know, oh, well, we're just having small problems. We're not about to get yeah. divorced. It's like, goodness gracious, like we, every marriage I, needs counseling. Yes. And, so and if like, you wait till you're about to be divorced, <laughs> then, then you, our options are limited. We are yeah. way past the we're point. We're way past. Yeah. So please, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so right. that's a big part of it. And I hope one of the 
results of this podcast will be lowering the bar by removing shame and guilt and yes. fear. There's no no reason for shame, no reason for guilt, no reason mm-hmm. for fear to talk to somebody. So the first thing is talk to somebody who's a, a kind of a spiritual mentor in your life. So maybe a small yep. group leader. If you don't have somebody like that, it might be a, a staff member or an elder sure. at the church. Um, somebody who um, is wise, who who you can can talk to. Just just talk. Be open and honest about yep. it. Um, I think the the next resource would be some of the amazing Christian counselors that we have in town, which your church, our church, we can resource and connect people as they need, but we do have some amazing counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what you said about the marriage counseling. I think counseling, we need to view it not as, as um, in a sense, disease curing, but mm-hmm. disease prevention. Absolutely. We need to move it to the prevention side. Yes. So counseling becomes, hey, I... I haven't talked to anybody about this or, or maybe it's, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, I got something going on in my life. I don't even know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's confusing to me. Well, man, counselors are amazing yes. at helping you to, to vocalize that. So, um, I guess, so the, the, what these, this list of resources I'm giving first and foremost, it's people. So there is no book or podcast or video that will ever substitute for mm-hmm. human interaction, especially with an issue of mental health. So that's a great word. So please have people in your life. This is not something you can solve through the latest book. Mm-hmm. Um, there are books and podcasts and articles that can come alongside. So that yeah. so they're secondary. Sure. But um, for secondary resources, um, I, a very practical one that's actually not faith-based, it's, it's not anti-faith-based, it's just medical and clinical, is uh, the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. i got to look at my list and make sure I'm getting Yeah, Anxiety and Phobia Workbook by Edmund Bourne. Um, that, that was really helpful to my wife and I, just because we're, we're not, we're not doctors. We don't know the terminology. Sure. We don't know the mechanisms going on. We don't, there was so much that we didn't know about what was going on in our bodies that it was really helpful to get, um, really a very, uh, it, it's kind of like a clinical textbook, but written for lay people. So it's very accessible. You don't have to have any anatomy in, in college or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just very easy to understand. It's a workbook. So there's diagnostics in there that you're kind of asking yourself. It helps you to kind of get a better assessment of what's going on and where you are. So that was really helpful to us um, in terms of kind of our journey, taking some steps, understanding when you're talking to a counselor or a doctor, what his words or her words mean, you know, yep. so that's really good. A second book, Walking on Water When You Feel Like You're Drowning, written by Tommy Nelson. Um, so Tommy Nelson, pastor of Denton Bible, yeah. up uh, for many for decades now. Right. Um, he, uh, because of working incredibly hard, he fell into uh, depression. Mm-hmm. And so his story has some some overlaps with my own. He and a uh, he and a counselor who helped him wrote this book together, and it's very useful. I think probably the most useful part of the book is just the freedom from fear that you get from realizing if Tommy Nelson, who's like written all these commentaries, he preached the famous Song of Solomon series yes. that went around every college campus in the country, all this kind of, mm-hmm. if he can fall into it, really was, for him it was a combination of an anxiety disorder and depression. If he can fall into that and have to use medication and have to get professional counseling and have to take a leave from work and all that, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't feel shame and guilt if I deal with that. Right. You know, and so Tommy's book was really helpful at alleviating some of that shame and guilt and, and just hearing a fellow struggler. And again, yep. his story is unique to him, but there's commonalities there um, that are real helpful. I think one of the things that could be helpful is if you're not dealing with a mental health issue, but you know someone who is, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend or a, or a parent, and you're like, well, what is it like to go through a mental health disorder? Tommy's book can be really helpful mm-hmm. be, for that because, again, it's not meant to be like a clinical book like the workbook I mentioned it's more his story so you'll 
you'll hear him describe and you do you do walk away i'll say it's it's pretty accurate at giving you a sense of how hopeless and powerless the sufferer is in the middle of it mm. that, that you're just like this is totally something different than i've ever experienced so if you want to get a an idea um of what one man's journey looked like through that who's a believer who'd share you know, kind of some of the same basic faith commitments that we would uh really good useful mm. book for that so again that was the anxiety and phobia workbook by born and walking on water when you feel like you're drowning by tommy nelson and steve leave it or levitt i'm not sure how to pronounce yeah, yeah, his last yeah. name lea lea v-i-t-t yeah yep Blake, those are great resources. And I just loved what you said about people being yeah. the greatest resource. I mean, you can't beat having a wise person who's invested in your success for sure um, on that level. So, well, Blake, this has been an awesome conversation. Thanks, I think I think it's going to help so many people. Thank you for giving up your time today to come and join us on the show. Uh, this was great. My pleasure, man. Thanks great. for having me. Well, for those listening, if you found the conversation helpful, we encourage you to subscribe to The Happy Baptist so you'll receive the new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also rate and share the podcast on social media, which will help others find and hopefully enjoy the podcast as well. So until next time, remember the words of Charles Spurgeon, holiness is the royal road to happiness. Mm-hmm.